you are listening to the 501 Companion Podcast. This is episode number eight, and eight is a great number. The Magic 8-Ball, best predictor ever, not just because it's magic, but because it was filled with eight. Is eight enough? Eight is never enough. And they talk about the seven wonders of the world. Well, we are the eighth wonder of the world. Nick, cue the music. All right, guys, we are here. We are on the eighth episode. Things are happening. They are happening fast, and we have a lot to discuss tonight. But first, quick introductions. Matt, who are you? Hey, everybody. I am Matt Bailo, and I am your resident digital marketer. Matt, do you have some fun eights for us tonight? Yeah, you know, uh, just when I was looking at eights, it was it occurred to me, and I did a little research, 8 p.m. used to be known. Remember primetime TV? Mm. Right, but now with streaming services and then with COVID being introduced, that's actually shifted. It's not like you have this prime time broadcast thing of 8 p.m. You now have 10 a.m. 5 uh, 10 a.m. and 5 p.m., which I think is just absolutely fascinating. I could not agree more. So I'm glad you brought that for our eighth episode. And Nick, who's our resident IT guy, who puts the Intel inside of Intel. Nick, tell them who you are. I'm Nick. I'm your resident geek, as you said. Um, nerd, uh, other monikers apply. Uh, my favorite eight. How about the V8, buddy? Car guy. <laughs> Nothing is like a V8. Race Figure on su- race on Sunday, sell on Monday. <laughs> All right. And the figure eight. I like yeah. that, Nick. Right. You could do a figure eight in your V8. Yeah. You know, I was thinking like figure eight was a wrestling move. Then I'm like, what is that? Like two figure fours? Like, how does that work? <laughs> Both guys are doing figure fours. They got a figure eight. My name is Buddy Scalera. I'm the host of the show and your resident content strategist. We've got a jam packed show for you tonight. It's going to go quick. So be ready to play this twice. Uh, first, we're going to lead off with news and then we're going to get into a topic that we've been covering now for the past couple of episodes. But don't worry. We're going to onboard you and give you an opportunity to get caught up. But first, let's start with our news, guys. Uh, The strangest stock market story of the year just got stranger and strangely generous. I'm talking about the uh, Reddit group, Wall Street Bets, uh, that cranked up GameStop and AMC, but mostly GameStop, to record highs in the stock market, flush with money uh, from the stock market. And I would imagine cryptocurrency, these... um, these people went out and raised $200,000 for charity. Matt, tell them a little bit about the charity and what they did. Well, this is a charity for gorillas. And so they were actually, um, they went out and, you know, if, if anybody knows the history of Wall Street Bets, it is a Reddit group. And it was a group of users who got together and decided to, let's say, put forth their own strategy in the stock market to no longer be uh, subject to the conditions of large Wall Street traders and and make their own pathway. But one of the interesting things is once they had this group assembled, they decided, hey, you know what else we can do with this? We can actually raise money for gorillas. And so that made its way around the Reddit group uh, and people went around adopting gorillas. And I thought it was uh, an, an excellent article and a really interesting use of social media that we'll talk a little bit about why that is later. And uh, Nick, um, before I jump into this, I think the observation that I had was thanks to a roaring stock market and a crazy valuation of cryptocurrency, um, there's a lot of money out there. 
right? There's just more money than people realize out there. And after they've made their money, paid off their houses, bought grandma a Ferrari, they still have lots of cash left over. Uh, What were your thoughts, Nick, when you uh, were looking into this news story? I thought it was interesting. And one of the things I wanted to do is look at 501c3, a lookup and and try to uh, find this charity and uh, learn a little bit more about it. And I searched for the term gorilla and we get no less than a couple of pages of organizations that uh, are focused on on gorilla rescue in particular, not just animal rescue. Um, and the interesting thing is this particular uh, charity was one of the most, uh, I, I'd call it successful in raising funds. So they've had, uh, let's see, their last, uh, the last year they reported income was uh, 2019, $7 million they raised. Um, so, uh, you know, and I, I don't want to, I, I kind of feel in some ways, I get kind of a negative feeling about it and I should. And all I'm thinking about is, you know, there's, so, there's number 12 on the list, let's say, of guerrilla organizations. Why didn't they get the notoriety? And I'm not, you know, it, it just hit me that, yeah. you know, success goes to success and really it takes it into marketing. And maybe this is something that we could look at, you know. What can those other organizations do or what haven't they done? To, well, that's it. You know? I'm with you, Nick. I mean, that's why we do what we do, right? I mean, because we're here to help the people who can't get a mark, who don't have a marketing team. And yeah. while, you know, you know, reading that article, I don't think this was an intentional campaign right. for um, for the charity. But what I do think is they were prepared for it, right? They had the right media. If you go to their website, they had elements that were shareable. They had the way to take in the donations. So when the opportunity did present, you know, it, you know, they were actually able to take advantage of it, where yeah. in so many cases, whether it be the technology, we've seen servers crash, whether it be the financials, we've seen people go bankrupt due to success. You yeah. know, people are just not architected for this kind of impact, you know, like with the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, Ice Bucket Challenge, you know, they're just not architected to be able to take this on when they do get something that successful. So uh, you're right, Nick, it's really just interesting that, you know, it's not just the social media and viral nature of what happened. It's also their ability to be prepared for it and their ability to capitalize on, on it. Now, it's a good point. I, I you know, Nick, I, I was glad you did that search. And, and, and it is interesting if people have a passion for animals. There's probably lot there's probably a charity for every animal you could imagine. And and to go to what you had also said, guys, uh, it looks like they gave their money to the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room. Oh. I, I know. I know. I felt like somebody was oh. throwing a softball to me. I had to hit it. Those are, that's the level of humor we have. We do dad jokes here because we, we do keep, do dad jokes. We keep it, right? we, we keep it dad, dad level. Jokes. Somebody said, I would like to hear a good dad joke. And I was like, there are no good dad there jokes. There are none. <laughs> There's just corny dad jokes. But anyway, well, guys, I think, I think what's, I think what's really to me was exciting was, you know, this idea that right now, most of these charities, and maybe we could look into this in the future, are still taking donations uh, a classic way. And you have to wonder can these charities be yeah. gifted stock? 
Can they be gifted Bitcoin or Ethereum? Yes. I'm looking into this new cryptocurrency website called Rally.io. Just one of these things that popped up on my radar as I'm researching crypto. I'm very interested in that topic. And I look at those. I think maybe in the future we should think about like how can charities be creative about yeah. receiving gifts, um, both you know as anonymously as people want. Maybe people just want to donate anonymously, and that's the that's the promise of Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? More securely, understand. You know, really? part of the part of um, you know Bitcoin and, and the architecture behind it is you know it's called the trust protocol. You know, to ensure I mean, what's more trustworthy than donating to a charity. So, you know, we look at these um, news stories with an eye toward helping to share ideas that we see that are happening in the marketplace. And we do hope that our listeners uh, send us stories that we think that they think we might be interested in. So I think, um, you know, we're, we're out there on the platforms. We'll talk about where you can find us. But ultimately, uh, we are in service of people who are passionate about charities. Um, and what greater way to bring that passion than with our topic of the week? And I would like to just note that this topic of the week is not just educational for you. We learn something each episode from Matt, our chief marketing guru. No, let's not say guru because guru is such a trendo sort of word. Just gorilla. our marketing guy. Gorilla. Our, <laughs> our marketing gorilla. Razorback. Bailo. Matt, tell us about the topic of the week and, and also maybe just a quick recap of where we are so far in this learning journey. Yeah, absolutely. So the last couple of weeks we've been evolving. We've started with our vision and mission and it was kind of slow and we're like, hey, I want to get into the cool stuff, into the campaigns and the tactics. But we've evolved, right? We started with our vision mission. We went into like defining strategy. We went into target markets. We started to talk about journeys and messages last week. And we just barely started to touch on the topic that I want to discuss today. And this was is actual behavior change. Okay. Mm. Because at the end of the day, when we're marketing, one of the major things we're looking to do is change some form of behavior. As you mentioned, buddy, that behavior may be shifting people over to cryptocurrency right? Or being able to donate or take on cryptocurrency or to adjust uh, or impact the stock market, right? So there's lots of different behaviors at play, but at the end of the day, we're looking to impact those behaviors in a certain way. And that's what we're going to discuss today. I love that. I've always thought that um, marketers will sometimes take the easy way out by just saying, you know, we're here to educate the market, at the end of that campaign, however, you need to get somebody to change their behavior, and that might be, you know, increased donations. It might be tell a friend about donations. So there's a lot of different uh, traditional marketing concepts that I think you're going to be touching on. Yep. Uh, so I won't take the wind out of your sails um, because I, I I love your your your, your team lessons. Yeah, Nick and I learned something. Mostly Nick, uh, I would I would think you know, more Nick than me. I mean, I've. <laughs> No doubt. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and, uh, you know, a couple of things that you noted there, buddy, was we are at the end of the day looking to change behavior. And what's led us to this point is defining what is the behavior we want to change. And we're going to take a little bit, we're going to shift gears now. We're going to start to talk about how do we now change that behavior? Okay, so I'm going to start by defining behavior change for you, as I tend to do when we start a new topic, right? And it's defined as information or systems or form or, or other information that reinforce an attitude, a behavior, or acts of compliance without using deception or coercion. 
And I think that last part is really key too, right? Because you want to, as you said, educate, you want to inform, you want to align, right? You want to be, increase awareness. And all these things are what help people change behavior. And now there's actually a lot of different ways to do that. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. Here we go. Are you ready? Yep. All right. So I'm going to start with talking about how people think. Okay. So Daniel Kahneman, an economist, um, very famous. Anything you read on marketing or technology is probably a derivation of one small part of the work that Kahneman did. Okay. And so Kahneman wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And Thinking Fast and Slow, in its simplest form, right, is this two-system thinking, fast and slow, where the brain divides up labor, okay? System one, fast, is efficient. Boom, 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 boom. It makes very quick comparisons and super quick, like, judgments, okay? So you can make choices. System two is slower, or automatic. It's things that you're not aware of. Maybe think like subconscious, okay? And as a marketer, the reason this is important is because you want to start to understand how are you interacting, okay? You're walking through the aisle and you're about to check out. What's on the shelf next to you? Candy. Candy, right? Because this is, boom, I want candy. <laughs> <laughs> right? So you think about how these things can, how people think can start to be applied. Some people call this the elephant and the rider, right? The rider can't always turn that elephant the way they want him to go. The elephant's in charge, but the rider's got to coerce them into the direction you're trying to go. Think behavior changes the elephant, right? Makes sense. Mm -hmm. And now to get there, how many, if you had to guess, how many, maybe, you know, I don't know if you looked at the notes, how many ways, studied, scientific, psychologic ways are there to change behavior? Now, they're called behavior change techniques. I, don't, I didn't even cheat and look at the notes. Nick, do you, you want to you cheat and go ahead? I didn't eight. look at the notes. I'm saying eight. Because it's show number eight. I would guess at three, Matt. I've, I've always said that it was three. And uh, I might have to go back and redo my speeches if it's not three. No, I'm going to combine what you said. We're going to take your eight and your three, and I'm going to make 93 because that's what eight and three make. Hmm. Right. So Isn't there's approximately 93 different ways to change behavior. Now, what's interesting to me, the reason that I'm so in love with these concepts as a marketer is because this is kind of this proven, tested, what Kahneman did, work with the military, work with students and academics to actually test these behavior change techniques. And then a group of, of people got together and they took all of the paper that's the, that they've seen on behavior change and they put them together and they grouped them into, there's 14 experts grouped into 16 categories, right? And there are things such as goal setting, right? Setting goals, you've heard this, helps you change behavior. Writing it down, helping you change behavior. Now, on the other side, you have things like penalties. If you don't do it, this is what's going to happen. You have prizes. If you do do it, this is what's going to happen. You have social support. Let me put it out there what I'm going to accomplish so the community can hold me accountable and I can feel accountable. You have emotional, right? You have habits. You have prompts, right? If you, when I'm driving home, I think to myself, when I get to this light, 
I have to remember to turn left. That light becomes my prompt to remember to pick up the pizza. All right. So you have prompts, you have sources, you have credible, credible sources and academic, right. Carries more weight than somebody I just don't know that might, I don't know their background, right. Something like that. So you're always thinking about what am I qualified to speak on? That's where this kind of thing can make sense. So there's 93 different ways to do that. 93? 93. How'd they figure that out? <laughs> Lots of testing. Lots of testing. But I'm going to go over two simple acronyms. Okay. The first one is called MindSpace. Okay. MindSpace, M-I-N-D-S-P-A-C-E. Look it up. There's a great paper on it. There's also a great paper on the 93 academic behavior change techniques. Pick it up, read it. It's riveting. Okay. MindSpace, however, think about M, messenger. We are influenced by who communicates to us, their authority and our feelings for the messenger, right? I'm a big fan of Buddy. If he tells me something, I believe him. But Nick, he's been kind of unreliable in the past. If he tells me something, I question it. Who is the messenger? Makes sense, right? Yep. Incentives, right? Hold on. Let me just change. There we go. Incentives, the type, size, timing, reference, perception, punishment, right? Estimation of experience. What are we getting? What are we not getting? What are we giving up? Opportunity cost. If I go out fishing, what chores am I not getting done at home? What are you giving up? All right. So you have incentives. Then you have norms, social norms, friends, cohorts, positive and negative influence. So M-I-N-N is norms. D, defaults. What's the default option? This is big and this is going to come back later. Right. What is the default option that you're giving people? If you default to opt into a program, most people will. In yes, <laughs> I was I wasn't sure what that if that was the prompt. That was the prompt. Yes, right. As saliency, we are influenced by what our attention is drawn to. What is novel, simple, easily accessible? Okay. Priming P. This one is one of my favorites. What are you exposed to subconsciously that influences your later behavior? I've seen some fascinating studies on priming. Priming is, is an amazing thing. You can change people's outcome by what they are exposed to. Just simple things. Like behind me here, we have a wheel, right? And it has numbers and dollars and you're thinking about money. Scientifically, it's been shown when you're thinking about money, then I ask you to estimate the cost of something. You may actually increase your estimate based on being primed to think about money, All right? Interesting, right? Are you being primed to think about health? Are you being primed emotionally to think about gorillas? Right? So if we think about something like the article we just talked about on Reddit, right? This is an organization that was already, well, a group, not an organization, I guess they were organized, that is already primed. You know, they weren't just trading stocks. If you read the stories, they were activists, right? Mm -hmm. And to throw something like Save the Gorillas into an activist group, they're primed to help. They're looking to do good. They're not out there looking to be selfish, right? And so, again, it can contribute to the success of something like that. So we just saw that, right? Then we have affect, so emotional associations. 
and commitment costs of failure, right? How much are you going to commit? And we see that in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Right. And the last is ego, self-image. How does this make me look? Good, bad? Is it consistent with what I believe about myself? Do I believe myself to be a good person? And is this consistent with something I believe? That's mind space. What are your thoughts? Well, number one, I think it's a great acronym. I, I, I mean, I had heard of Kahneman um, yep. when, when I saw it on your list and I Googled him and then I read about him on Wikipedia. That was my exposure to Kahneman. Um, I'd have actually never heard of Kahneman before that. So all kidding aside, uh, this is educational for me, but I like the, the acronym and it gets me thinking how charities should use the MindSpace acronym to go, okay, like you said, how do we prime these people to open their wallets or make a donation or otherwise support it? How do we use people's ego to share it on social media? Um, these are all areas that are motivating people and then you have to get them to change their behavior, right? Yep. If you're not posting it on social media today, I can appeal to your ego to tweet out a link to our next fundraiser. So I think those are the kinds of things that yep. um, are very easy to do if you understand people's motivation. Mm-hmm. I think Mindspace goes into those motivational elements. Uh, what do you think, Nick? I thought it was great. I actually did read Kahneman's book through Audible, thanks to a thanks to a long commute. Uh, it is probably that thick if you uh, didn't listen on Audible. Great though, right? But uh, yeah, fantastic. Just very, I mean, to, to make it that thick, very uh, in depth and detailed. Uh, I thought it was a good acronym, and that's only nine of ninety-three, right? Have I got my characters right? That's not uh, even. <laughs> part of the nine the nine gets so much more specific this is yeah. one take on you know a group's uh evidence behavior change yeah. and in marketing's uh techniques and it's been you know tried in healthcare and some other areas yeah, one of the things i thought real quick is uh, on the priming is the anchoring effect of money so if i tell you something is uh you know ten thousand dollars and then what yeah. happens five anchoring the mind on a price that always uh Always fascinates me. And you I might be able to anchor people. Time. You might be able to anchor people by saying, you know, the average donation is a hundred dollars. Excellent. Yeah. Right. You can say you're at a you're at a fair, set up a little booth, fundraising, you know, and how much do I donate? Oh, whatever you want. You know, they say like, oh, whatever you want. You go like, mm-hmm. give me a starting point. Well, the average person gives five dollars. Here's five dollars. Yeah. I mean, right. so you you could do that. You can also have a high a low and throw a medium in there and you can aim for that medium because the high looks the medium look better right and you can actually increase yeah and nobody wants to be the person that goes below the lowest donation if they're like well the low is five but you wouldn't want to just do five right you you're right david appeals to their ego right like you said you know you have to think about people this is a donation is an emotional thing yeah. Well, what's really interesting is, is, you know, using your powers for good, because when you start to think about these things, what you're really trying to do is frame, you know, your position, right? We've worked our way through strategy. We've worked our way through understanding ourselves, our mission, our vision. And what this is going to do is start to give us context, right? You know, we've talked a lot about different charities, like the baseball charity uh, a few weeks ago, like what's the right context? Well, they were baseball photos at a baseball, you know, Hall of Fame. And, you know, it's it's an interesting thing. And today we're talking about 
charitable giving and social media and, and uh, you know, that kind of stuff in an area of activism, you know, it's contextually appropriate. So you start to think about this and who did it come from? Where did it originate from within or was somebody trying to break into that to try and leverage that large group? Because we see that all the time too, right? We get a, we get, you get a large Facebook group and what to say right at the top when you're joining, no ads, right? You know, no marketing, no outbound links, LinkedIn, same thing. Right? But when you're a member of the group, when you're a trusted member, right? When you are somebody who is part of the team, it might become okay. You're trusted. You're somebody that's contributed. You're one of us. You're somebody that can speak uh, on the topic that we are aligned with. And you had two acronyms you wanted to share with us? The other one's easier. Okay. This is Chip and Dan Heath. Big fan of them. Anybody uh, know Made to Stick? Yeah. Now that book I read because it was right? short and, and it used smaller words. I don't I don't read like Nick. You know, big I giant. You <laughs> use smaller words because the smaller word is success, right? Simple, unexpected, credible, concrete, emotional story. And I'll talk you right through that. Simple, right? Less is more. The root of the idea. Save the gorillas. Why? Boom, we're done, right? Unexpected. Did you expect to see Save the Gorillas today? Mm. <laughs> credible. We talked a lot about credibility. We talked a lot about. What are you, what authority do you have to speak on this topic? Who are you that's introducing this information to me? Why would somebody come to me and for what information can I offer, right? So I'm a marketer, I'm a technologist, I'm a coder, right? We've been in this for 20 plus years, but nobody's coming to me to ask about plumbing, <laughs> right? So because I'm not qualified to speak on that in your mind, even though, as we both know, we had to delay the show because I was under the sink sweating pipes when I broke off a faucet. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, we we were supposed to be on the other night. <laughs> so, so that happened. Um, concrete, right? A powerful tool to paint a mental picture, right? A concrete story. You understand the 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 solidity of it, emotional, appeal to the emotions. Now, this is something that I actually thought fit really, really well with our article, right? Because it's something that we know since probably the late 80s is that due to a psychological reaction called uh, psychic numbing, you actually can process better save one gorilla. If you look at the... the um, charity that went viral in this case that we just discussed, it wasn't save all the gorillas. It wasn't, this is the huge scale of the problem. It's enormous because at some point we all know, we can all look at Nick, how many charities are in 501c3 lookup.org? Thousands, millions, millions, right? Right. Somebody is out there and those are millions of charities helping how many more millions of people and animals and others that need help around the world? If you were to try and process all that as a human being, it would be overwhelming, right? So we have a reaction called psychic numbing where we're not responding to all of the gorillas because I feel like I can't do that. That's too big for me, right? It's something that my dollars won't fix, but I can adopt a gorilla, right? One gorilla, I can 
see it. I can name it. It has a name. I can connect with it. And you can skip over that psychic numbing reaction. Again, it's just something that we as humans possess. And when we start to think about decision-making, we start to understand how that happens. And that's an emotional connection. And then we have stories, right? When you tell a story, create that connection. And that's the success acronym. Simple, unexpected, credible, concrete, emotional story. I like story the best. That's my favorite part of it. I like stories too. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when you get an emotional story, something that's meaningful, you know, that it creates that imperative that you, you do want to help. But when it's just like, here's a giant number, aren't you shocked at this giant number? You, like you said, you just go numb. There's, there's nothing you can do with that. So I think our charities um, would do well to really think about honing down. Like this is a person that we helped with your money and more of this money will help help us to help more people like this. So I have one more topic, but I don't know that we have time for all of them tonight. So I'm going to poll the audience here. Okay. Maybe some people can put some comments in the show or send an email if they want to hear one of the other ones, but I'm going to put out four topics for you both. And you let me know which two do you think were one or two you think we can cover. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have loss aversion as in ownership and transactional. Okay, and I have a couple areas that we can discuss there. I have what's called The Paradox of Choice, Barry Schwartz. Really interesting book if you get a chance, right? How do we choose and what do we think about the choices we make? Number three, and I know this is a favorite, knowledge and how that impacts our choices. So The Curse of Knowledge and Dunning-Kruger. And then the final one is group decision-making processes and influences. What do you think? We have group, we have knowledge, we have the paradox of the choice, and we have ownership. You know, I, I like the group one. You like um, the group one? Yeah, I think um, I think it's so hard to get group consensus on things. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to learn a little bit about more more about group dynamics, Matt. Okay. Okay. Nick, which I one like do you like? I like the loss aversion because it's so powerful. The fear of losing is oh my. more powerful than the fear, uh, will you know, want to gain. One of my favorites. One of my <clears throat> favorites for sure, Nick. Okay, so we're going to start with group decision-making processes, and we're going to end on, end on loss aversion. I think that's going to be a great place to end because there's a fascinating story that goes along with that one. Okay, are we ready? Ready. Group decision-making processes. We're ready. Okay. So... There's a couple of different ways that groups make choices, right? And it's important to think about them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cover four different ways that groups make choices so that you can start to understand how do you influence the group decisions. I'm not going to get heavy into group dynamics, but it's an interesting topic that maybe we can cover later. So the first one, majority rules, right? The decision that most people support, you know, a vote a show of hands, is the direction we go. Now, in that case, 51% is enough, means 49% didn't get their way. So it's an interesting dynamic. A lot of times it's viewed as fair. Sometimes they push that up to you need a 65% majority or something like that, or an overwhelming majority in order for something to move. But it's an interesting way for a group dynamic that you would want to think about how do people choose? So when we talk about um, a business that is looking to donate, how do they donate? Is this a person or a group? And if it's a group, 
how does the group decide? Uh, it may be a majority vote, right? You put it out there. Oftentimes we've seen um, in an organization we used to work for, they put out a holiday contest uh, for donations and people voted, right? As part of the voting, they determined where the funds were directed for the charities, majority rules. We've all heard that one, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, hierarchical, top down. There's a boss, there's a senior leader. Often ideas are gathered Input is given. We all know the racy chart, right? We meant right. Um, responsible, accountable, consulted, informed, right? So it's lots of people, information is taken in, but ultimately one person makes the choice. And that's interesting from a marketing perspective because you have to decide are you going straight off to the decision maker or are you going to try and influence the informers? All right. Now, then you have proportional. A person or a group has a greater say in others because they have a stronger connection to it. Okay. So if you have, for instance, majority share, mm -hmm. right. And we see this in social media, right. How do we evaluate who we want to talk about as a thought leader on social media? Count their followers. Right. Mm -hmm. They have a majority share. We believe they're a heavier influencer. And mm -hmm. we're starting to talk about influence marketing, right? So it's a proportional to a decision that's being made. If you can get an influencer, you may be able to shift behavior. And then in the final way we talk about it is consensus. A decision is reached by the group as a whole. And everybody has to agree. You see a lot of this in healthcare, right? You know, you're going to talk it through. Sometimes you see this in legal or government. You have to eventually talk it through until we all come to a consensus and we agree on a direction. Maybe not always the optimal direction. Maybe not always the favorite. Oftentimes it's a give and take, but you have to be willing to work with the other in order to get stuff done and you move ahead as a group. So there you have it. four dynamics for group decision-making that you can start to look at who you're trying to influence. We talked about partnerships in earlier episodes, right? How do you make those partnerships happen? How do they make choices? How do they choose what's going to happen? Group so how would, how would the group decision-making be um, contextualized for this, Matt? Are you talking more on the side of the organization or are you talking more on the side of the contributors? Contributors. In that case, I was talking about contributors, but you do have to understand your organization, right? There's three of us. We can easily do a majority rules with a vote, right? We can do a hierarchical, right? Nick's the boss. He decides what we talk about. We could do a proportional, right? Buddy, you're much more invested in this than, than I am. So your say has more weight, right? And then, or we could do a consensus where the three of us get together and discuss how to move forward. That's internal. That's for us. But if we're trying to say, do a B2B play, business to business, we're trying to work with an organization, create a partnership, who decides whether that's going to happen? Is it a committee? If it's a large organization? So you want to do business with Bill and Melinda Gates, right? How, do, how does that happen? Is there one person? Is there multiple people? Like, where, how do they decide where the money goes? how it's allocated, right? And if you can understand that, you can understand tactically in messaging how to approach it, right? Are we looking to influence a vote? Majority rules, right? In which case, it's a broad spectrum attempt to influence a vote 
You really just need to win 51% in order to be effective. So this could probably, I, I think you're also saying this is how an organization might decide how they spend their money. Um, you know, what events they attend, what fundraisers they throw, what worthy beneficiaries of the money that they've raised what worthy beneficiaries and then there's a group dynamic and as you said you know sometimes it goes up to the singular person could be the president or the ceo right it could be a committee that's been appointed to come up with mm-hmm. a recommendation and um i think those dynamics are are interesting that that's that's a, there's a lot of influence and a lot of um currency trading, and I don't mean uh, money currency, I mean political currency, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even so far as we talk a lot about organizations as services, but a lot of times they have products. You see every time you buy a pair of socks, a pair of socks get donated. Well, how do you get those socks in stores? Who do you have to talk to at the store, right? So now you have kind of this B2B marketing side. On top, you have two levels. You need to convince the store to carry your socks. That's your B2B marketing. Mm-hmm. And you have to convince the consumer to buy the socks once they're at the store, right? Right. B2C marketing. So in the B2B world, you may need to influence a majority. You may need to influence a, um, a boss. Who's the person, who's the buyer or the group of buyers that you need to influence? So there's lots of areas and it's important to contextualize it for your own organization, what you're trying to do. But you may be trying to do many things, right? If you're trying to influence a committee, Let's talk about a town, right? I work on a, um, a soccer league, which is which is a charity, right? It's a 501c3, but they may need to work with the town to get lights on a field or to get a field mowed or lined or new goals or to put in a playground or a swimming pool, right? How do you influence that? Because this is a committee, a town committee that actually influences the budget for the town that can help the organization, Right. So what do you need to do? Do you influence the committee members? Do you want to influence the voters for the committee members? Right. So you have to start to think about these group decision making processes so that you can determine your strategy for how you want to go after the behavior change. Wow. Good stuff. Yeah, it is good stuff. It's very interesting. And Nick, you picked a good one, right? Loss aversion. Mm hmm. Okay, so here we go. Ownership and transactions, okay? I have three ways that we're gonna talk about ownership and transactions. We're gonna start by talking about loss aversion, which is loosely defined as the tendency for people to prefer avoiding loss over the equivalent gain. As in, you would rather not lose a dollar more than you would rather gain a dollar. So think about it more like the equivalent to losing a dollar, the equivalent sadness on the happy side is $2, right? I got to give you $2 for the equivalent, right? So that's loss aversion and it's kind of loose aversion. So if you think about it, loss aversion is not the study of how to win. It's the theory of how not to lose. Mm. Mm, Okay, so... Some studies actually suggest that losses are felt twice as powerfully as equivalent gains. Okay, and the interesting story that I love is is a, is a fellow named Max Bazerman. He's a professional uh, uh, professor of negotiation over at Harvard Business School. Okay, and every year he conducts what's called the Bazerman auction. Okay, where Max 
Bowserman auctions off, Professor Bowserman, a $20 bill. Seems simply enough auctioning off a $20 bill, right? But there's two rules to the auction. The first rule is it's going $1 increments. One, two, three, four, right? The second one rule is both the first and second place bidder has to pay. Only the first person gets the $20 though. <laughs> Interesting, right? You want to guess the winning bid, the Max's record? $100. Nick? Uh, 25 204 <laughs> For a $20 bill. For a $20 bill. Because people don't want to lose. So you start, you get to $19. I say 19 Nick says 20 And I think to myself, if I could just get that $20 bill at $21, I'm going from losing 19 to losing one, I say $21. I'm now paying $21 for a $20 bill. And Nick says, I'm about to lose $20. But if I bid 22, I'm only losing $2. I'm going to bid 22, 23, 24, 25, 30, 40. And you keep going like this because you don't want to lose $19, you lose 203. And by the way, Professor Bassman donates the money. There's your charity, Tony. There's your charity. <laughs> time. Well, I think uh, I think I think the way you wrap that in a story was really good, Matt. And I think, like everything else that we're talking about on the show, this is part of our learning journey. Mm-hmm. Um, if you find what we've been talking about interesting, and I'm sure you will, and especially if you work in an organization, I encourage you to go back to our earlier episodes and explore. You know, really get into some of the topics. The news topics are timely. The uh, these teachings that Matt's been taking us through are very timely. Um, speaking of Matt, where can they find our podcast, and how can they subscribe? They should definitely look for the podcasts on uh, the Apple or Google apps because it will be there. But if they want to get the audio directly. We have a wonderful page over at 501c3lookup.org. Just click on, click on the 501 companion. And Nick, speaking of 5013, blah, 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 blah. You'll have to say it again for me, Matt. Uh, where can they find you, Nick? Where's the website? Yep, and I'll say it again. I'll say, say it again for me because I never get it right, C3lookup.org. And you can right find, off the top. Yeah. <laughs> I had some Those words. I'll say it again, Nick. 501c3lookup.org. And what do they find on that uh, free website? And on that website, we have a listing of the 2 million plus charities that uh, the IRS has uh, released information on over the last uh, X number of years, 10 years. We've got about eight years of of, uh, IRS data in there right now. That's amazing, Nick. And where can they find you personally if they want to find you, follow your technical musings? Yeah, Nick underscore Rufa at uh, Twitter. And you can find me on Instagram, Nick Rufa. I love it. Matt, where can they find you? I, I know you're a LinkedIn guy, but give them, uh, give them a little detail of where they can find you uh, to continue the dialogue. The best place to start is my website, MatthewBalogh.com, B-A-L-O-G-H.com. From there, I link out to everything, LinkedIn, Twitter. You can find uh, all your information you need to contact me there. And everybody can find me everywhere at BuddyScalera.com, BuddyScalera on Twitter, BuddyScalera on Instagram. I hope you all enjoyed the 501 Companion podcast. Stick around. The best is yet to come. And 
keep giving.